Good morning. Can you hear me now? Let that guy, you know, get that technology sorted out, you know, we got it. I spent most of the last 12 years in Africa, so we're not, you know, real high tech. Uh, but it actually works to our advantage over there. Uh, Chris told me I could preach like 30 or 35 minutes. I said, well, you know, you Americans, you all got watches. But we Africans, we got the time. So don't worry, somebody's watching the time today. Brother Gary, oh, did Gary leave? Oh, well, if he's gone. I asked the man to help me, you know, okay? So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll preach till about noonish. And actually, they say in Africa, you can preach as long as you want to, but about 1230, we're all going to leave. Uh, <clears throat> anyway. Uh, my name's Larry Warren, and I've uh, been attending church here off and on for more than a decade. Uh, I always like to brag about my family. Uh, a couple of them are here. And it's, we're, we're balcony people. Up there in the balcony is my, my first wife, Mary. Uh, she's also my last wife. She's my only wife. And uh, we have four sons, uh, grown men, no little boys anymore. And our oldest son is the one who really encouraged us to start attending this church. Uh, when he was a senior in high school, we'd moved back from uh, Africa for his senior year and for some other reasons. And uh, after a few months, he was going to Christ Pres Academy, and we were living in Brentwood. And he said one day, Dad, you know, I've got, a, I got Caucasian overload. I said, what do you mean? He said, everybody's the same here. You know, he said, I, I really need some diversity, you know. And so he said, I think I want to start going to another church. What do you think of that, Dad? And I said, well, actually, I'm just very thankful you want to go to church, uh, <laughs> wherever it is. Uh, and so I said, why don't you go down here to Strong Tower? Uh, you know, Chris Williamson's been to Africa with me a few times, and I've been there, and there's a lot of diversity, and that was how we started visiting here. So I don't know a lot of you, and, uh, but we're, we're here. We've been back for two years. That's how we got here. And uh, that's my first son, Ed. He's an engineer in, in Florida, and my second son is up here. That's Paul. And uh, I'm going to be talking today about finding ourselves in the Bible. And I'm saying that now because when I uh, think about my sons, I start thinking about my heroes, you know, Chris preached a, a series on heroes in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, I he thought he concluded the series, but I decided I'd go ahead and conclude it for him <laughs> because I want to talk about you as a hero because you are somebody's hero. It might be your kids. It might be your spouse. It might not be your spouse. That kind of goes and comes, doesn't it? Uh, but... You know, I think about my heroes. I've had the privilege of meeting some of my greatest heroes. I met Nelson Mandela just after he was elected president of South Africa. And I was there with my wife and my two sons. And he shook hands with us. And uh, he didn't say much to me or Mary or even Eddie. But when he got to Paul, my second son, he bent down on his knee and looked him in the eye and said, son, thank you so much 
for taking time out of your busy schedule to come be with me. And Paul said, no problem, Mr. Mandela. I don't like school anyway. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's Paul up there. He's always been kind of quick on his feet. And uh, I think that was the beginning of his political career. And uh, anyway, I have four sons. That's my two oldest. And that's a little bit about my wife. And uh, I have two younger sons. We went to South Africa. We, we had two sons and thought we were done. Five years later, we had two more. Uh, they were born there. Uh, so that, that means they are African-Americans. <laughs> All right, now, they, they uh, let's, don't, let's don't make this a race thing, okay? This ain't about the color of your skin. Uh, in fact, my youngest sons, they applied for uh, uh, some of those minority scholarships. <laughs> now, you, you can imagine what the admissions director thought when they checked that they were African-Americans. And they walk in, they got white skin and brown hair and blue eyes. One of them, he said, you're not an African-American. And one of my sons, as the English say, my cheeky one, uh, Joshua said, no, you are not an African-American. And the lady said, yes, I am. He said, no, you're not. He said, I was born in Africa. Have you ever even been there? And she said, no. He said, okay, so this is a race thing. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> now, I, obviously, I was, I'm tempted to preach about racism, but I won't. Well, maybe I already did. Uh, <clears throat> but I spent some time in India. And you know what? As my greatest mentor, a guy named J.L. Williams, told me when we got to Africa, he said, Larry, racism is not a, a skin problem. It's a sin problem. We, our sin is we want to be up on somebody else, don't we? And you go to India, after I've been living in South Africa where they've had 200 years of apartheid, separation and injustice based on skin color. Then we go to India, and they say, well, that is really sad about those 200 years of apartheid. We've had 4,000 years of the caste system. It's sin. You know, I, I appreciate the elders here, especially today hearing from, uh, uh, from Tyler and from Jerry because, you know, the pressure's kind of off me about preaching a good message. I think we already got one, don't you? But I am going to tell a few stories. I'm, I'm not much of a preacher. Uh, I'm not even a very good teacher. But, uh, you know, people have told me you, you can tell a story. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on my stories because the only story that really matters is his story, isn't it? So when I say we're going to start thinking about more finding ourselves in Scripture, then we're going to look at some stories today, some things that Jesus did. They're all in the same chapter. And uh, I just want you to be thinking about where are you in your relationship with Christ? One of the most helpful men to me doesn't wear a watch. And he's not African. He's an Australian. He said, my watch got in my way of following Jesus. I was always looking at my watch, see what time it is. It's time for me to do this, time for me to do that. He said, I sort of took off my watch and thought, I'm going to be asking the Holy Spirit, who's with me all the time, what time is it? My question to you is, what time is it in your relationship with Christ? 
I thought about preaching about racism. I thought about preaching about missions. That's the main thing I usually preach about. And I guess I will be preaching about that in some ways because you know what? In my opinion, we are all missionaries. You're either a missionary or you're a mission field. So when you go to the bank or you go to the school or you go to the hospital, that's your field. And what you want to do is work toward, pray toward becoming a world Christian. A famous missionary named David Aidney. My wife and I had the privilege of going to his house every Tuesday morning at 6.30 for two years. He had a Bible study there. And he had two things when he got there. He had the Word, a Bible, and he had a newspaper. And he said, this is what we're supposed to be about. The Word and the world. And we're going to read the Word, and we're going to read the news, and we're going to talk about how do we integrate our life between the mandates of Scripture and the needs of the world. And that's what I want to encourage you to do today. Find yourself in Scripture and ask yourself, how can I take the truth of God to the place where he has called me? Missions is not about geography. It's about the geography of your heart. For where your heart is, that's where your treasures are. And where you invest your treasures, your time, your talent, your treasures, your wisdom, your wealth, and your work. That is the place that God has called you. And God's word is your guidebook. Now, I've got to say a couple things about the missionary life, and then I'm going to get right into Scripture. Sorry, Tyler. I, I'm, I'm going to get there, man. I'm going to get to the Bible. I promise. But some people got a, a, a distorted view of missions. Being a missionary is great. It's an adventure. Part of why I left the business world is because I was bored. I wanted some adventure. My father was a pastor. My brother was a pastor. I decided when I was a teenager, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I ain't going to be in ministry. I don't want to be sitting in church all the time. That was getting kind of boring. And I actually realized I, I like money. And so I want money. And the Bible doesn't say it's bad, money's bad. It says if you love it. And I kept telling myself, no, I, I just kind of like it. <clears throat> Seemed like the more I got, the more I liked it. <laughs> but then I was down in a, a restaurant. It's now called Brick Tops now, but it used to be called Houston's right across the street from Vanderbilt. In 1979, I was riding down there with a friend of mine, and uh, we said we were going to go to dinner and a show. And we heard on the radio that Billy Graham was in the Vanderbilt Stadium. And uh, I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. That's where Billy Graham's from. That's so why I said to my friend, I said, hey, Billy Graham's going to be preaching. Are you going to go hear him? And I, I said, He's, that's another guy from Charlotte. He's done pretty well. He said, so, well, yeah, well, let's do that. I said, you want to go? I thought you were Jewish. He said, well, I'm about as Jewish as you are a Christian. <laughs> like, ouch. He, then he, and I'm sitting there kind of stunned. He says, yeah, let's do Let's just park here, and we'll come back for dinner. But let's, we said we're going to go to dinner and a show. Let's just go to the show first. That was our attitude going in to hear Billy Graham. But when I came out, my friend said, 
you wanted to go forward, didn't you? I said, yeah, I did. And I said, tomorrow night I will. And that was the beginning of a new adventure. I stayed in business for several more years because some people convinced me there's no reason to leave business because you've got a ministry right where you are. Then I heard with my wife, a Sunday, we were in a Sunday school class, talked about ministry to the poor. I wasn't going to a good church. I was singing in the choir. I was working with the youth. But I was not in a personal ministry relationship with anybody in serious need. And I realized I had a problem. I looked up what the Bible has to say about the poor. I saw there are 800 references. I didn't read them all. But I read a lot of them. And I got stuck on Matthew 25 where Jesus said, when I come back, and he's coming back, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. And the sheep that he's going to ask into eternal rest are going to be the ones he identifies as those who've been ministering to the least of the brothers. And then he told us exactly who those people were. We don't have to wonder. He said the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the strangers, the sick, and those in prison. And I was living right here in Williamson County, going to a good church, and I was not in a personal relationship with anybody that was hungry, anybody who didn't have access to clean water, anybody who didn't have enough clothes, any strangers, like refugees. I wasn't visiting anybody that was sick. And I hadn't been to prison. And that was an act of God, too. But I'll tell you what, today, when you start finding yourself in Scripture, you take, if you're not sure what I'm trying to say, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you into a closer proximity to the poor. It can be the spiritually poor or it can be the physically poor. You don't have to go on some mission trip. I'm on for them. I'm glad Chris is in Haiti. I went there 20 times before I went to Africa. But I first needed to go to Edge Hill. I knew, I knew where the poor people in Nashville lived when I was in business. And I made sure I never went there. And then when the Lord spoke to me, I started volunteering down in Edge Hill. And I started tutoring some young guys. And I started playing some basketball. I know you all think that's a miracle too. <laughs> that was a long time ago. We want to go where Jesus is. Go where Jesus is. And there'll be a great adventure is the, is the thing I want to say before we get to this verse. Our families climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and Mount Kenya. And two of my sons were talking about their stories about that yesterday. We're on a great journey. I almost wore my safari jacket in here. But I thought, no, then y'all just be paying attention to my jacket. Some of you would be like craving my jacket. you know. So I, but it's a journey. We're, we are sojourners. We're just passing through. We're taking a trip. We're just taking a trip. And it's a great adventure following Jesus. It may not take you to Africa. It might take you to India. It might take you to Edge Hill. It might take you to Belmead. I don't know. It may take you to boardrooms. It may take you to the bedrooms of the sick. Follow Jesus. Now, there's some bad things that are going to happen too. Yeah, we, we got to climb mountains. We went to 100 different game parks. We did all kind of fantastic things. But we also, we got shot at in South Africa. We know what it's like to be a part of a terrorist attack where people come in to the church with guns and grenades. We got kidnapped in Kenya. We, I've been stranded in Sudan. 
That is the adventure. It ain't all good stuff. It ain't all bad stuff. And we don't understand the why, but what we do know is we are following Jesus. And where our Father is, is where we're safe. You got a life verse? Let me read to you my life verse, okay? When I was figuring out what I'm going to do now now after this uh, commitment to follow Jesus, I started raising money. I started taking trips to Haiti. I started trying to get people to give money to build a clinic there. And then I started going to Africa and India. And I was still clarifying. So what, I mean, what's my verse? And then I read this passage right here, 2 Corinthians 8. You don't have to look it up. 16, I thank God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. I thought, good job, Titus. But listen to this. It says, and we're sending along with him the brother who's praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. And what's more, he is chosen by the churches to accompany us with the offering. One translation says, He's there for the faithful administration of the gifts. And that's not talking about spiritual gifts. That's talking about money. I thought, ooh, I like money. And it said he was known by the sending and by the receiving churches. I thought, this is sounding like me. The people here in Nashville, a few churches know me and they're sending me. And the people in Africa and Haiti and India, they know me and they're receiving me. And I thought, that's me. I'm finding myself in the scripture. See, it doesn't say what this guy's name is. It says he's a brother. And he was there to carry the offering and administer it in order that the Lord himself could show faithfulness and our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer the gift. But we're taking pains to do what's right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but in the eyes of men. Although that's me. It says there's a brother. So you didn't know what his name was till today, did you? His name is Larry. Find yourself. You don't have to have a life passage. You don't have to have vocational verses. But you need something from the word that's motivating you to know why you're doing what you're doing. Now, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look quickly at three stories, all found in Mark chapter 10. And we're going to read. This is my, you shouldn't have a favorite chapter in the Bible. Why don't we put Mark up there? And let's look at quickly at three stories. Let's look first at Mark chapter 10, verse 46. This is about the blind man, because we've all been blind. We have not been able to see life the way it really is. Verse 46, then they came to Jericho, and, you know, let's do it this way. I want everybody to close their eyes. Unless you have your children in here, then you need to keep your eyes open, okay? I'd really appreciate that. Okay, you keep your eyes on your children, and uh, because the next passage we're going to read is about children, but I'd like the rest of you to just close your eyes while I read this, and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what you need to see. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, A blind man, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and said, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. 
And then Jesus stopped. And he said, call him. So they called to the blind man and said, cheer up. Get on your feet. He's calling you. And throwing away his coat, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what he's saying to you, what do you want me to do for you? Then the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. Now open your eyes. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Yes, we all want to see. We want to see things the way they really are. We want to see God's will for our lives. But take a mental note for yourself so you can later develop and keep asking God, how can I see what you want me to see? Because he's right there saying, what do you want me to do for you? Look what it says Bartimaeus did when he was healed. The last sentence says, when he received his sight, he followed Jesus along the road. That's the rest of this message. Once you see Jesus, you got nothing else to do but follow him. When I saw Jesus down at the Vanderbilt Stadium, I had no idea I was going to move to Africa. I didn't even have a passport. I'd never been in Edge Hill. So what? It's God's plan. It's God's plan. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And Ephesians 10 says, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do the good works he prepared in advance for you to do. He's already gone ahead. You just got to follow him like Bartimaeus. Bar what did, Bar did Bartimaeus say? Hey, where are you, where are you going? Uh... How long are you going to be gone? All right. What are we going to eat? All right. uh, how much do you pay? <laughs> he didn't do any of that. Yes, sir. Yes, my, my life has been about trips. I've been taking trips all my life. I'd come home from my trips, and at a certain age, from, I'd say about 7 to 17, my boys will know, what would you bring me? Okay? But before that, and then after that, they don't want to know, they don't want the gifts they want the giver. They want to be with me. We just want to be with our daddy, don't we? We just want to follow our leader. I used to come home when Paul and, and, and uh, Eddie were little, and I'd talk about the trips, and then I'm going to say, I'm going to take another trip, and Eddie would say, me go. And Paul would say, me go too. So we used to call them me go and me go too. And now I got four of them, and I'm old. I can't remember their names half the time anyway. So, uh, so you know, that tall one over there, you know, the, the one of those younger boys. But anyway, that, they just wanted to go, and that's what Bartimaeus wanted. That's how you follow like a child. Now let's move over to another passage, the same chapter. Look at verse 13, the little children in Jesus. The people were bringing 
little children to Jesus to have him touch him. But the disciples rebuked him, and when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Whoa. That means he was angry. It's okay to be angry sometimes. What's important is that you understand that anger is one of our core feelings, and it indicates what's important to us. But you can't stay in anger. If you repress it, you can get depressed. You've got to express it, but you've got to express it appropriately. And let the Lord, let the Holy Spirit take your anger, what's important to you, and turn it into a passion. That's what I think the Lord, he did with me. I started getting indignant with all the poverty and inequality around the world. People said, you know, we don't like the way you raise money. You act like you're mad at us all the time. <laughs> I said, well, maybe I am. But then I, the Lord helped me turn that into a passion for equality. In that same chapter, 2 Corinthians 8, it says, give that there might be equality among the believers. What does that mean? Is that communism? Everybody ought to have the same thing? I don't think so. In the kingdom economy, for less than 10% of what we spend in developed nations like the U.S., for less than 10% of what we spend on ourselves, you can meet an equal need for a greater number of people in a developing country. What we pay for a teacher in Davidson County, you take 10% of that, you could pay for a teacher almost anywhere in the two-thirds world. What we spend on housing, what we spend on medical care, we're concerned here about medical insurance. I am. I hadn't always had it. But most people in the world are just concerned about access to any kind of health care. I was angry at the injustice. Well, what good is anger? It isn't good at all. In fact, it's destructive if it's not channeled into a passion for the mandates of Scripture, a passion for the poor, the spiritually poor, or the physically poor. Now listen, Jesus was indignant. Look what he did. He said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And I tell you the truth, anyone who does not receive the kingdom like a child will never enter. And he took the children into his hands and he blessed them. We want to follow Jesus when he reveals himself to us. That's what Bartimaeus teaches us. Then we want to come into the kingdom like a child without any conditions. That's the closest thing to unconditional love, isn't it? What you get from a child. He doesn't know what a sinner, his mother or his father is. And you know what? Even when he comes to know that more, he or she going to love you anyway. That's unconditional love. And trust. Children trust, don't they? Trust Jesus. Follow him like a child. Come on in. You don't need to know his business plan. He knows it. Just follow him. You don't need to know the whole deal. If I'd known the whole deal, I don't think I'd have signed up. Okay? But he told me the next step. He tells you just the next step. That's all you need to know just about today. Now, the last story here, and Mark I want to read, is what I'm going to close with. Look at verse 35. Because, you know, People are in power struggles. We're in power struggles at work. We're in power struggles at home. And even the disciples got into that power thing. James and John, they, they like came to Jesus with a request. I'm going to read that part. I'm about out of time. 
But, you know, they said that we want to be your number two and number three guy. Okay, we know you're number one. We got that. You're number one. But, you know, how about if we're number two and three? They wanted some power. So look what happened when the other disciples came. It says verse 41. I don't think that's up there yet, but let's put those. When the ten heard about this, then they became indignant. Power gets people upset, doesn't it? They were angry at them. And Jesus called them together and said, verse 41. You just can listen to me. It didn't come up there. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They are high officials, exercise authority over them, but not so with you. See, you're in a different kingdom now. Different principles. We're not supposed to lord it over people even when we have the opportunity. Jesus said, instead, whoever wants to become great among you, I want to be great. Don't you? He says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you must become a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. And that's, that's hard stuff, isn't it? I don't, in my flesh, I don't want to be a slave. I don't even want to be a servant. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And that's what Chris was, he, he closed with that verse last week. And he said, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. John Piper says, we can do all the things that God wants us to do because God is constantly infusing us with the power to do it. Trust him, rely on him. And Jesus said, here's our leader. Even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Guys, it's a great adventure. This, uh, this thing about travel, whether it's the edge hill or the edge of the earth. Just go where the Lord's leading you. What do we want to know more than anything else? What's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my, my life? We well, you know, that first song that we sang today was about giving it over to Jesus. Giving it all. So let me close with these first three verses out of Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. That's what Bartimaeus said. Lord, have mercy on me. And he did. And he's had mercy on all of us. In view of what God has done for you, here's what you're supposed to do. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's holy and pleasing to God. It's a spiritual act of worship. I love those 30 minutes of singing here. We call it worship time. But you know what? I don't sing that good. And the same Greek word for worship is the same word for work. And you're all going out to work tomorrow, aren't you? That is your form of worship. Integrating your relationship with Christ into the place where you work, into the relationships that you have and the investments that you make. This is your spiritual act of worship. I say this because God's word says, do not conform any longer to this pattern of the world. Be a servant. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here's the close. Here's the answer to that most important question. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good and pleasing and perfect will. That's how we know it. Offer our bodies, renew our minds, and take that trip, take that great adventure of following Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together today. We thank you for our elders. We thank you for the worship team. God, I thank you for adopting us all into this body of Christ. So they are brothers and sisters. So may we treat each other that way and go out and let others see Jesus in us. Amen.